Welcome to Magnet Minutes. I'm Jordan Kimmel with an update for February 23rd, 2022. And today, again, it's a pleasure. We have Herb Blank, the Chief Quantitative Strategist and Analyst at Value Capital, Value Management. And um, let me just share that, Herb, it's wonderful having you here again. And uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, Jordan. It's great to see you again as well. So Herb, let me just share, you know, your blogs are some of the most really well-read, well-distributed and reshared posts I find on LinkedIn. I'm not sure where else you share your information, but the uh, one well, that- the Value Engine blog itself, blog.valueengine.net and also talkmarkets.com. I have a, a following there as well. So I'm, I'm glad you're pointing that out right on valueengine.com. If you haven't yet, sign up for the blog and uh, that way it gets fed to you directly when Herb does an update. And um, so let me just share that the last topic is something near and dear to me. We've had 20 years of what I call excessive love of indexes. Uh, it just really took over the market almost. Um, but share the topic, share the name, and then we'll kind of get into the meat and potatoes of what I think is a super important message in this phase of the market. Yes, uh, what I want to do is review some of the actively managed ETFs, but let me get into why I thought these were of interest and why I've been following them since they started. Traditionally, Index, there's a lot of reasons for index funds to have love, Jordan. I've owned them and I've had them. And uh, one of the uh, S&P 500 ETFs, IVV and iShare, has outperformed uh, 80 plus percent of active managers over 20%, 10%, according to SPIVA, which is an S&P versus traditional actively managed funds in the distributor wrapper. The problem is that distributor wrapper for technical reasons, winds up costing investors about 3% per year and gives them more uh, after tax, it's worse because of the taxable distributions. Having to uh, take funds in and redeem every day and sell stocks as needed and keep cash drag um, are among the technical reasons that actively managed mutual funds in the distributor wrapper tend to underperform. The good news is I've always said it would level the playing field if active management adapted the ETF structure. And there are a few that have actually been around three to five years that we can now do performance uh, true ups on. And most of them have done quite well in, in the, particularly in the value and value at reasonable prices state, uh, space. So we can go into a few of those individually. I want to get into all of them, but I, I want to just, you know, really touch on something that, that you said, which I think is really uh, a critical statement about 80% of managers being outperformed by indexes. And, you know, Herb, my whole career, I've talked about the bell curve and inside the bell curve, look, almost everybody's just average. And then there's a whole lot below average. And, and I think that the, the goal or opportunity for some investors is to find those managers on the right tip of the bell curve, because we're not saying the, the fallacy that no one can beat the indexes. We're saying that most don't. And, and I'll also mention, you know, most golfers 
don't break 90, uh, but you're down in the sunshine state. And we know if you watch on Saturdays and Sundays, there are some elite golfers that shoot in the 60s and 70s. So I just wanted to get that out that I totally well, uh, agree. Jordan, Jordan let me remind you also of the okay. pain we both shared in the very structure I'm talking about. I'm not talking about managers who have separately managed accounts. That's different. And they're not the ones who are included in the underperformance. It's the managers who are in the traditional structure, uh, mutual fund, which you have to make, uh, which as stocks, uh, as investors take money out, you have to liquidate sometimes your best positions because they have the least capital gains. You have to ha keep a lot of cash on hand, which drags the performance of the fund and you, uh, and everything you sell is taxable, which kills your investors. So right. that's the structure. One other point while you're on it. Hey, one other point. Managers at a disadvantage. My claim would be that these 80% of managers who have underperformed, Mathematically, that couldn't be worse than 56% underperforming unless th there was some great way they could pick losers all the time, in which case they'd be off the charts. And that's not happening right. in a big aggregate. It, well, as, well, uh, one one last point. Car to paraphrase James Carville, it's the structure, stupid. It's that traditional structure that people shouldn't use. They should have either SMAs or they should be using the ETF structure. So we're about to get into your paper. One last qualifier, and I, and I love the conversation, frankly, because uh, the, the, the point that I want to bring out here is that it is the structure, particularly when so many of the quote-unquote actively managed funds are really nothing more than closet indexers to begin with in a bad structure with fees on top. And therefore, they basically can't perform there's the structure and and there's so much closet indexing in the funds that all own the same 20 stocks in cap weighted order as the index so now let's get into your paper because that's really the meat and potatoes yes some of the the, the uh, better mutual fund uh star performers have gone into some of these eat e actively managed etfs they did it when full disclosure was required. And now we've had an event in the SEC in 2019, which allows actively managed funds to do their trades in a semi-transparent uh, wrapper to protect some of the IP while still showing most of what they have. And that's been uh, uh, acceptable. And the funds that have been doing that uh, have been doing very well as well. But the ones I have here mostly are the ones that started being uh, at actively managed um, with full transparency from the start, because those are the only ones that have been around three to five years. Right. Well, fire away, Herb. No one does more thorough research. I want, to, I want you to get into the really the three key points, uh, you know, on, on why you have this belief that potentially, you know, and I'm not saying you think we're in an era that actively managed should or will do better. I have my own suspicions why that's the case. But I brought you in to discuss your paper, so fire away. Yeah, no, it, uh, again, it can do better, and especially in an environment like this, where the index structure is forcing companies to, I mean, the funds that you hold, to own more and more of stocks that are have been very top-heavy for a number of years. And and those are the, when the market reach, reach, reaches an inflection point, and starts uh, going down historically, those are the uh, uh, stocks that suffer the most. 
Now we had that crazy thing in 2020 because of COVID where those stocks recovered the most almost immediately after the recovery started, but you don't expect that, uh, you know, a 30% loss followed by a 30% gain or, and then a, another 20% gain in most markets. Right. This is an unusual period. There's really no doubt. And, and so, you know, look, I'm going to say this. The thing that bothers me the most is that an individual investor can actually identify companies before they make the major indexes, before they become cap weighted. And when I saw, for example, Tesla just get added to the S&P index after it hit a billion dollar, trillion dollar market cap, and everyone was talking about it for years, and then it finally gets added, I believe maybe at the wrong time. Um, but again, um, I don't wanna overplay my active uh, approach. Exactly. Well, let's take a look at what's going on and value managers and how they've done. Uh, for the most part, the, the usual benchmark for value uh, managers and was is IWD, which is the Russell 1000 value. That's the Russell 1000 value index is what they use and, and what, what you should take a look on versus it because sometimes value is in favor and out of favor. Frankly, um, I just have to say that's what I benchmark myself against, but go on. Right. So I've I've got uh, five active funds that benchmark themselves against uh, the uh, S&P 500, and I, I have a, each of them in here for a reason, but I'll uh, get into it a little bit. But uh, one of them, uh, the first one I'm going to talk about here is a very interesting. And if you're a dividend investor, you should be uh, income oriented. You should be very interested. All of these are going to have better income for the most part than uh, the S&P uh, or, or the uh, Russell 1000 value, rather. But all, all of these also um tend to try to keep the uh uh they're looking at quality companies for reasonable prices one in particular that's interesting is from a company called true shares called div z div with a z on the end okay it's um it has done better than the uh s p 500 uh for the last uh i mean and and, and iwd when IWD was down for the month of January, 3.1%, and the S&P 500 was down 6.1%, DivZ was up 2.1%. Impressive. 12 months ending January 31st, and the difference is even more stark now, DivZ was up plus 4.8%, VOO down 3.99%. Uh, for, for five years, 18.6% for the IWD, 16.7%. So, and, oh, and for the 12 months, I should mention IWD outperformed uh, S&P by quite a bit, minus 0.8, minus 3.9. Short of it is value was the place to be and Div Z was definitely the place to, to be uh, over this period. Now we've got, uh, what does Div Z do? What are you owning here? It's, it has an annualized volatility of only 12.2% a beta of 0.58 and a provisional sharp of ridiculous 1.52, which is un, un, unsustainable, one would think, over more than five years, but so far so good. It's got a dividend yield of 3.7% as compared to 1.7 for, for the value index and 1.3 for the S&P. 
So what does it own? It basically owns the best of the Dow stocks of the 80s and 90s. It owns AT&T, it owns Verizon, ExxonMobil, uh, um, what's- uh, Probably Coca-Cola, Pepsi. No, Noble Affiliates, Coca-Cola. It owns high dividend paying stocks with low volatility that, that, uh, that, that, uh, tend to, that still have their dividends. So, you know, a lot of the stocks that were dropped from the Dow over the years don't have their dividends anymore. These all, Chevron, these still all still have their dividends, Noble Affiliates. So you're saying, Herb, in a nutshell there, um, there is life outside the fangs. Um, I want to point out there, not only did you give out some statistics, but I think that the returns were generated, in my opinion, with less risk. And, and exactly. I define risk personally as looking at high price to sales, high PE, low profit margins. And even when you generate high returns with, the, with those kind of companies, you're taking higher risk with your principal, in my, in my opinion. Right. And an 0.58 beta compared to uh, 1.02 for the uh, value index uh, tells you a lot right there. That's why there's so much information in, in what they're doing there. And they're doing it with a select 30 to 40 groups group of stocks. They never go above 40 as opposed to uh, the 853 owned by Russell, Russell 1000 value. Herb, you know, you sound like you're talking about my SMAs, but I know these are other managers. So we, we have a couple minutes left. Uh, if there's another one you want to share, but you know all those qualities that dividend yield, it sounds a little bit like the the SMAs I'm running over at Value Engine Capital, um, and that's why this is so appealing to me. I think it's there, there those are, yeah, and those do well, and again they're freed from that structure as well. And SMAs are definitely another good way to go rather than a traditional mutual fund structure. I will talk about, uh, about very quickly, if I may, uh, Chris Davis, Davis Advisors, who's been one of the, like you, has written book and has really has a strategy for picking and keeping low turnover, uh, excellent stocks at reasonable prices, but only goes with quality companies. He's had a five-year uh, total return of 13.8%, better than the S&P and uh, much better than the Russell value at 7.5. But his price book is, at, is currently at 1.8. His PE is at 12.8. He only keeps 30 stocks. His yield is at 2.1%. Compare that to 2.7, and 1.7% for the uh, Russell and 4.9 price out of control price to book ratio for the S&P 500. Wow, there's some amazing statistics. You know, I frankly have not read his book by, by what you're saying I'm going to. Um, one thing I need to do, Herb, is to figure out how I could run my portfolios with, with less turnover. Because uh, some people just, you know, ask me why this turnover. Let me ask you to just touch on one more, you know, really. In fact, that was point. one reason he didn't mind disclosing his holdings because he only turns over about twenty five percent a year. Wow, I mean, that's that's to me uh, that low turnover is something I'm always trying to get better. Frankly, so I want you to touch on something because 
you you've kind of talked about a couple of these key people that have 30 stocks 40 stocks i myself usually have 25 companies i like to tell people the research i've done extensive says you only get diversification benefit with a certain increase in holdings can you share do you and i know you've looked at this yourself is there a number of companies that you go where you want to be that diversified, but above that level, you're really not getting real true benefits of diversification? Well, what are your goals? The reason I brought up DIVZ because it has such different characteristics than, than, than most funds. And what you don't want to do is worry quarter to quarter performance, uh, especially in an up market, you can expect that true, true shares, the DIVZ will probably only go up 60 or 70% uh, as much as the S&P 500 and, and uh, be more in line, but about 80% as much as wherever the value index is, the, the, the uh, Russell 1000 value. But the, the, the thing is, what's your objective? If you're looking, if you're over 65, you're on a fixed income. What you want is for your capital not to decline, not so much appreciation, you want it to at least stay the same while you want to get a good income to live by. DIVZ fills those objectives nicely. Uh, we also have double line and advisor shares who have done very well and, uh, uh, and uh, American Century, which has a team of managers who, who have done fairly well as well. But, and all of these are looking again they all have less than 50 stocks. They're looking to cull in there. And the point you're making is basically the more stocks you have, closet indexing, the more you're going to perform like the index. The more you mimic as most, as many of these managers are forced to do by dictate, the uh, industry diversification of the GIX codes. Okay, I have to have 17% tech. I have to have 11% pharmaceutical. I've got to have, you know, whatever percent cent of this. Uh, no matter what names you pick, it's going to be hard to, you know, not to mimic exactly what they're doing. Now, if your goal is to mimic them and to try to beat them on returns on that, at least now you'll have a straight up structure with the ETFs and the SMAs. But I mean, that's not a goal people are paying active management fees for necessarily. Exactly. exactly. And so, look, I, I do believe, as you do, too, there's a place for passive index funds. There's a place for active index funds. There's another place for SMAs. Um, the only thing we've seen is a lot of investors get hurt by trying to look at the top companies in the indexes and then kind of forget to sell them uh, when they're when they're when their day in the sun is over. And you have people sitting with um, companies that were once market leaders which are now uh, seller dwellers. And From so- From 2009 uh, to, to November of 2021, QQQ had, had uh, delivered to its investors a, a, a return of 15% per year. That, you know, that's great, but it's unsustainable. They caught the tech stocks, they caught them in their beauty, it's there, but trees don't grow to the sky, nothing goes up that much forever. And, you know, just like the Janus 10, which was up 97% one year and down 50% the next year, and you lose more being down 50% than you do gain by going up 97%, do the math. Right. Uh, well, Herb, Herb, let, let me kind of cut it off right here. I mean, this is why at Value Engine, the word start, value leads the, the sentence and um, is a way to achieve 
your goals without being so far over your skis. So Herb, one more time, um, Value Engine Blog uh, is where we find you most. If right, you want to share any other names. Yeah, the URL, direct URL is blog.valueengine.com. Okay, and Herb, you're not a stranger, won't be a stranger on this podcast. And I really appreciate the time today you spent. I appreciate you giving me the time. And Jordan, it's always a pleasure to talk with you and um, keep up the great work you've been doing so far for Value Engine Capital. Well, thank you. So I love the conversation. This is not a, a seminar. This is a conversation. And once again, it's Jordan Kimmel for Magnet Minutes for the Informed Investor. And thanks one more time, Herb. Take, take good care. Thank you, Jordan.